So has anybody, anybody seen this picture before? I'm sure you've seen pictures like it, but this is a, a pretty specific image. It's famous enough to actually have a name. It's called the Blue Marble Image. It was taken by the Apollo 17 crew on December 7th of 1972 as they were on their way to the moon. They turned back and took this shot. It's the first time that an image of the South Pole ice caps was ever captured from outside of the Earth. And you can see all of Africa, the outline of Africa, all the way up to the Arabian Peninsula in this image. It really is a striking image to see the Earth just hanging in space like that. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. I think everybody wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, I also wanted to be an NBA basketball player and a mailman. So at least one of those dreams is still alive. Um, at least one. Um, so wanting to be an astronaut, I would look at books a lot. Uh, we had Encyclopedia Britannica. A lot of you guys had that when you were kids growing up. And I would look at, at pictures of solar systems and stars and planets. But I was always drawn to images like this, like the blue marble image, because Earth is so unique in its look. There aren't planets that we have pictures of that look like Earth, the blues, the greens, the whites of the clouds. It was just always really interesting for me. But I think there was a deeper level as well. I don't know that I would have been able to verbalize this when I was a kid, but there was a sense when I looked at pictures of Earth from the outside that, that, that the world was somehow smaller. I remember when I was a kid, the world seemed really big and unknown. Anything outside of my neighborhood seemed honestly scary. And when I looked at images like this, though, the big world, the big unknown world seemed smaller, somehow more connected and less scary. I didn't know until recently there's actually a name for this phenomenon, and it's called the overview effect. A guy by the name of Frank White coined the phrase, and he talks about being, in a, 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 being a cognitive shift that happens when we see the earth from the outside. When we see everything uh, on earth with all its differences and uniquenesses, uh, as one connected thing, a sense of a bigger picture. And honestly, it might not feel like it. It might not feel like the world is one connected thing, particularly it seems in our nation, in the season that we've been in, there's unprecedented division, it seems like, and that's leading to, to vitriol and anger and, and hatred. It might not seem like we're all connected, but when we zoom out like this, and we pause for a second, we realize we are all connected. Maybe we can think about our connection in an environmental or maybe ecological sense. Everyone on earth shares the same set of renewable and non-renewable resources. Maybe we can think of our connectedness in a biological sense. All humans share 99.98% the same DNA, almost uh, unheard of in the natural world for a singular species. So a conversation about what race are you in some ways is a silly conversation because we're all one race. Humans are the one race there is. We're not divided up. We're connected. Maybe we can think about our uh, connectedness in an, or in an economic sense. Martin Luther King Jr. used to talk about all people being caught in the inescapable web of mutuality. He talked about you will experience the world and come in contact with the world before you even leave your home in the morning. Maybe you bought the coffee you brewed from Publix, but it was bagged in Seattle and the beans are from Costa Rica or Ethiopia your bananas from Honduras, the towel you wiped your hands with, you bought at Target down the street, but the cotton is Egyptian. The car you got into, either completely or parts made in Germany, Japan, we come in contact with the world before we even leave our homes in the morning. Or maybe our connection to this could be defined in a broader sense. You might call it the spiritual sense, the one that seems to encompass all the other ones. 
All people share the same origin, the scriptures tell us, in Adam and Eve. Therefore, we are all brothers and sisters in a sense. Genesis 1 reminds us that God cares about everything that he created. This has all kinds of implications that we'll work through over this extended season of being on mission, but we'll focus in on one today. John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the world, the Greek there, ton, cosmos, everything and everyone that he gave his son. You might call that the overview perspective of God's love for everyone. That's how big his love is. And if we can get a grasp on that truth, that overview, that broader, that bigger perspective, we might get a sense of our connectedness this morning, not just because we share the same planet, but because we're loved by the same creator. We're all Connected. So to answer the question asked of God in Genesis chapter 4, am I my brother's keeper? The answer seems to be yes. You may wonder why we do this, why we take a week and call it Africa Sunday. The answer to that question actually started 12 years ago. That's when we heard about the AIDS pandemic in Africa. We heard about it, we started reading about it, we started praying about this disease that was ripping families and communities apart in sub-Saharan Africa. And one of the things that we've always wanted Summit to be is, is, is a church that lives outside the four walls of the church that's good for the world around us, not just the world inside these walls that we'd be a church that looks around and sees need and, and moves toward that. And so that's why we started to look at the AIDS pandemic. And the issues surrounding the AIDS pandemic, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, are big. They're big issues, despite the fact that sub-Saharan Africa only makes up 11% of the Earth's population. 71% of all people who are infected with HIV AIDS live in this small region. To say it a different way, there are 35 million people in the world with HIV AIDS, 23 million of them live in a small area of sub-Saharan Africa. Nations like Malawi and Uganda and Kenya and Ethiopia where we have relationships. Looking at the AIDS pandemic, that's what drew us in, but the deeper you look, the deeper the issues actually go. You realize the issues are far far deeper. There was a UN report in 2013 that said the immense scale of AIDS-related illness and death is weakening governance capacities for service delivery with serious consequences on food security, economic growth, and human development. Okay, that's a lot of words, but what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means the fact that 6,000 people die every day due to AIDS-related illness and the fact that one in three people in sub-Saharan Africa are undernourished, and the fact that 70% of people in the region live on less than $2 a day, and the fact that only 20% of girls have access to health care in this region, it means that is all connected. The issues are big. Awareness is where it started, but that's not the whole story. We became aware of these issues, and we were, we, we were convinced that we should do something, but then we had to do something. And we actually didn't have a good idea of what to do, so here's where we started. We got on a plane and we went to Malawi. And a team from Summit did just that, and, and when we landed, what we saw were people. That's what we saw, we saw people, who, just like us, who, who, who were trying to raise families in a place where that's really difficult to do. People who had lost uh, wives and sisters and brothers and siblings to the AIDS pandemic. And we sat with them, and, and we, we learned their names, and we sang songs together, and we uh, shared meals together, and we laughed, and we danced, and we started to form relationships. One day, when we were walking through a rural village 
in Malawi, we passed a well. Now, wells are so important in this arid region, but this one was all boarded up. It was closed off, and, and so we asked, why, why aren't you using this well? And they said, well, it used to be where we got all our clean water, but, but, but not anymore. We don't use it. We actually go kind of to the village over because there was a drowning in, in that well just a couple weeks ago. And that was tragic, but it, tragedy actually goes a little further. It wasn't an accidental drowning. It was actually an intentional one. We were shocked. We were like, well, what happened? And they said, well, a young lady threw herself into the well because she was HIV positive, and being HIV positive for her meant there was no hope of being cared for or loved or cheered on, no hope that anything could be made better, no hope that she actually deserved to live. And we realized in that moment that the AIDS pandemic doesn't just claim lives due to lack of, of health. It actually claims lives due to lack of hope as well, and neither of those two things is okay. So here's what we did. We committed to do something for as long as it takes. It's a pretty open-ended thing to say, but that's what we've done. We've committed to do something for as long as it takes. So that's why we do this. That's why we take a week and we focus on our commitments and our relationships in Africa because God's invited us, his church, to live like we're all connected, to live like what happens way over there actually matters to us, that health over there matters for health for us. And those statistics, those, those realities that I mentioned about those big problems, they, they, they leave us with a choice, a choice that's not something that we can actually avoid. It's a choice that in this moment, in our seats right now, we actually have to deal, deal with. Here's the choice. The choice is to say, well, it's a big world. There's big problems. I guess that's just how it is over there. Or we can accept the invitation of Jesus. And here's the invitation to think big and think small. Think big and think small. We just finished up a series where we were looking at who Jesus is, what, what the community he's called us to be is, and what we're supposed to do together. We were looking at the Good Samaritan story. I want to go back there one more time because I think it tells us a lot about who Jesus is and it tells us a lot about how we're to respond to what we've just heard. If you're new with us this week, or maybe you weren't with us through all of that series, let me recap just a little bit. And the scripture's in your bulletin, and you can follow along if that's helpful. In Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, Jesus has this interaction with a man called uh, an expert in the law. Now, this isn't a lawyer in the sense that we might think. This is a, a biblical scholar. And the biblical scholar comes to Jesus, and he says, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I get right with God? And Jesus says, you're the scholar, you tell me. It's not exactly what he says, but that's basically what he says. You're the scholar, you tell me. And so the scholar says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting the Old Testament, the Old Testament law that God put in place that how his people should respond to the world around them. He's quoting something that every God-fearing person would have known and actually prayed every single day. Love God, love people. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. What he's saying is you'll live in eternity that starts right now if you live this way. And so the scholar, wanting to be really clear on what it means to love God and, and love neighbor, he asked the question, okay, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus responds with a story, the Good Samaritan story. So the story is a response to a question, who is my neighbor? We live in a time where our neighbor can be defined more broadly than at any point in human history. We can be to the furthest reaches of our world in a two-day flight. We can be there in seconds with the internet. 
We live in a world where our neighbors and our neighborhood can be defined more broadly than ever. But how we love our neighbor is exactly how Jesus described 2,000 years ago. The process hasn't changed. So Jesus begins this story. There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's attacked by robbers. He's beaten, and he's, he's bruised, and he's robbed, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. Then in verse 31, the story that Jesus is telling in the Greek, in the original language, it has a certain cadence to it. We don't quite pick up on it in English, but it goes something like this. A priest was going down, and when he sees the man, he passes on the other side. A Levite was going down, and when he sees the man, he passes on the other side. A Samaritan was going down, and when he sees the man, looking, loving our neighbor, starts with looking. We started to talk about that last week. Zach, if you were here, talked about that. That's part of what we're doing this week. We're looking. We're looking at the issues. We're looking at the problems. We're looking at how we can be a solution. Zach said last week, looking begins to change us, but it actually only begins the process. It helps us know enough to care, but then we have to do something with the knowledge. Given the cadence of the story, we would expect it to go something like this. The Samaritan was going down, and when he sees the man, he passes on the other side, but it doesn't go that way. The Samaritan was going down, and when he sees the man, he has pity on him. Maybe a better translation could be, has compassion for him. The scripture makes it really clear. The, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, they all saw the man. What separated the Samaritan, why he showed compassion, is that he had an idea about his neighborhood. His neighborhood was big enough to include all people, and therefore, if my neighborhood includes all people, I have to care for them when they're in need. So he made time for the man by the wayside. Compassion, that's the bridge. That's the bridge between simply looking and moving into someone's world with care. And compassion is something that can be so misunderstood and it's easy to misunderstand it. Sometimes we think that compassion is taking someone's story from them. It might go something like this. You see someone in need or someone tells you a story about their need and what pops in your mind is I need to be compassionate, so here's what I'll do. Thank you for telling me your story. I now own it. You sit there, I'll go fix the problem and then I'll come back and you can re-enter your own story. That's not compassion. Compassion is walking with someone through their story. It's saying things like let's move through this together. Compassion is relational. And that's what the Good Samaritan does. And the reason is because he thought big about the size of his neighborhood. He made room for the man who was in pain, even if it was an inconvenience to him. But he also was led to think small, realizing his individual actions mattered. He could have just walked by the guy and said, look, there's too much. I'm probably gonna pass another guy and another guy and another guy. I'm just gonna be on my way. But instead he stops because he was thinking big and thinking small. He was thinking big about the size of his neighborhood and smaller, individual, about the impact that his actions could have. So the Samaritan man uh, approaches the guy. He bandages, bandages him, takes him to an inn, cares for him a few days. Jesus ends the story there. Then Jesus turns back to the expert in the law and asks, which of these three, the, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell among the hands of the robbers, and the expert of the law replies, the one who has mercy on him. Jesus says, you've responded. Uh, Jesus responds this way, go and do likewise. So there you have it, that's it. Go and do likewise. 
Jesus is making it clear that loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself, it will include mercy. It will. It will include mercy. The gospel that we see in the scriptures is that there is a God who cares so much about the wayward, so much about the hurting, so much about those in need that he leaves his throne on high so that he can serve. Not because we're good enough, but because he is. God, in all of his wisdom, says that a love that pursues, a love that goes after, a love that engages is the more excellent way, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. And the gospel compels us to fight any belief that invites us to live otherwise. I know what you might be thinking. I heard the stats. You went through them fast, but I did hear those stats. They were overwhelming. The problems are too big. I'd just be a drop in the ocean. Fight that voice. In this moment, fight that voice. Because you've been called, we've been called to go and do likewise. There's this old communication theory that says when predictability is high, impact is low. And so if a speaker is giving information, but the audience is expecting what's about to be said, and then the speaker goes ahead, even if it is a shocking thing, but the speaker goes ahead and says what's expected, then impact there is low. But if the communicator says something uh, that the audience wasn't expecting, then impact can be high. Let me apply that to the Christian life because I actually think it bears out. If we as followers of Jesus act in a predictable manner, in a way that everybody expects, impact is low. It's what you might call blending in. But when we do things that surprise the world, when we care for people that we don't have to, we could easily just ignore and no one would even think bad of us. But when we don't do that, when we actually believe that one day there will be no more tear or mourning or death or pain and we live like that's true now, when we take Jesus at his word that he wanted to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, the world might just notice. The big problems might get a little bit smaller. It worked for the first church. A small group of ragtag individuals 2,000 years ago changed the world because they believed in this social experiment. This idea that no one should go unnoticed and uncared for and everyone should be invited in because God's love is that big. They lived like loving God and loving your neighbor actually mattered right now and it changed the world. So if you walked in this morning thinking Christianity is boring, it's outdated, doesn't really make a difference, only if we live like it. But not if we're different. So we go to the vulnerable. We show compassion and mercy and hope. And we do so realizing we're not taking God to Africa. God is very much already there. There are absolutely incredible things happening in Africa we're not looking to start anything new. We're looking for relationships. And so we go to people and organizations that are doing good Christ-honoring work in the region we believe we have been called to, around the issues that we are familiar with. And we say simply, how can we help? And that's it. That's how we form relationships that become partnerships. We come alongside. And with the AIDS pandemic, the, the thing that opened our eyes to the need in East Central Africa, it's not just a healthcare issue. I mean, think about it. The AIDS pandemic has left thousands of families broken apart. Four million orphans, AIDS orphans in the world. 
families broken apart. So a lot of these organizations are, are, are spending time filling in for parents that have been lost, trying to help a new generation be guided toward love and good deeds as Christ has called us to. Think about food. No one lives long with HIV AIDS without good uh, nutritious food. And so there are the, all these issues that are connected to the AIDS pandemic. The bigness of those issues invites us to think big. Think big about who we partner with. Let me tell you a little bit about our partners. And, and this is one of my favorite things that I get to do. So uh, let, let me tell you a little bit about them. First, uh, Children of the Nations. This is our oldest partnership. That's who we were walking by that well with. And uh, Children's of the Nations, they have this incredible vision to raise children that transform the nations. Uh, it's a long-term view, this idea that, that you can take a child, move them through, and they can become change agents in their own culture. I love that. Let me, de let me describe this picture for you. So maybe a couple of you are, are cued into, so um, the little ones, those are our Malawian friends. The, the, the white people are us. Um, that's um, maybe with uh, mild exception. But it, you might be familiar with the color of that, um, th that shirt. You might be like, hey, I'm kind of familiar with that. Um, that's a nice serve shirt. So here's what's happening. That team uh, is, is in Africa, and that's a special needs team. Special needs children, in particular, in Malawi, are treated in ways that, that we wouldn't even be able to imagine. Um, and, uh, and so we, we go and we, and we care for them and do, and do everything we can to communicate that they matter, that God has a plan and a purpose for their life. That's what that team is about. But what they're headed off to do is nice serve. That group of special needs kids in Mzungu from America are going to a hospital to clean that hospital, to, 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 uh, to add value to their community. And I can tell you if, you, if you ask the people that work at that hospital, they're flabbergasted. They, have no, they don't even know how to comprehend it, that, that these kids that they saw as somehow less than human, maybe even minutes before, are now making this a better world for the people around them. It is, it is astounding. And those kids actually get a glimpse of how much they matter. That is an awesome awesome trip. Uh, you should go on it. Let me, uh, let me tell you about some of our other partners. Africa Windmill Project. Uh, this is an organization started, and I love this. This is an organization started by someone who calls Summit Home. They went on that first trip. They were walking by that well. And John is an architect, and he's a very pragmatic thinker. And so the whole time with all these issues, he was saying, yeah, but none of this matters unless people have food on their tables. None of it matters unless people have food. And so he went home, and he started building windmills in his backyard. That's not a joke. That's what he started to do, and it's like, what do windmills have to do with anything? We looked at Frontier America and saw how we became an agricultural juggernaut, and it was because we could get water to crops in arid land. And he thought, why don't we do that there? And so using local materials and working with locals uh, as, as lead engineers, he started building windmills. Uh, and now farmers are getting two to three times the yield that they used to. They're, they're popping up all over East Central Africa. It might not seem like that much, but that's a movement from having just enough to survive to now having enough to save and plan for the future. That's happening through Africa Windmill Project. Here's another organization started by someone at Summit, uh, Market Colors. That's me. I'm doing macrame. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, Market Colors was started by this 20-something young girl from Michigan who went on a trip with us. She moved down here and, and, and went on a trip, and it changed her life. And she just kept saying over and over again, I think God's calling me to do something. I just don't know what it is. And so we entered a season of praying together with her. And what was produced 
is she realized that there are people with these great skills, these craftsmen and women who have these beautiful products, but they don't have any way to get it out. There's no one to hear them. And so she said, I want to start an organization that will help them get seen and heard. And so now that's what happens. She has these relationships with these wonderful craftsmen and women, uh, and she creates a marketplace for them. This is a trip that I was uh, humbled to be able to go on where we were teaching a new skill uh, to a widow's program in Malawi so that these women can have marketable products. So yeah, I can do macrame. Um, To be quite honest, that sweet widow within 10 minutes was better than I was. But um, so it's kind of a role reversal. She was teaching me things. But Uh, but that was uh, such an awesome trip. Another one of our partner organizations, uh, World Relief. I love what World Relief does. They have church-based solutions for uh, the needs of the community. So they empower the local church to answer their own questions. So essentially, World Relief will come in, work with a group of churches and say, what are the issues in our local community and, and, and what do we do about them? And they have these incredible answers to these questions. And so then World Relief says, okay, let's help you do it. And so in some communities, they're doing uh, care for those directly affected by AIDS uh, and HIV. Wonderful work. This happens to be a, uh, a group of women who have started essentially a savings and loan in the middle of rural Malawi. They're, they're, they are uh, craftswomen who have, have done a microfinancing. And so now they're not just uh, saving their income, thinking about the future. They're actually loaning out to start businesses for other women uh, in the village. They're incredible women, and they're very, very serious about their meetings. It's like, if you don't come with like your reporting, they're like, you're out of here. Like They are very serious uh, about that, and I love, I love what they're doing. We also do church planning through Nairobi Chapel. Nairobi Chapel is one of the, uh, one of the, one of the, really most important churches in all of Africa. They have this vision to plant a church in every major city in Africa uh, in the next 20 years. And, and, and so we get a chance to partner with them. This is one of the churches that we, uh, that we are helping uh, to get off the ground in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And then lastly, uh, Children's Hope Chest. I want to talk about them. That might sound familiar. That's where our Christmas Eve offering went. INE runs this what's called a care point for uh, children really suffering the worst material poverty in the world. And she is giving them uh, not just food and health care and education and the love of Jesus, but, but hope is the result of all of that. And she's working not just the children, but also their, uh, their families, usually widowed mothers and providing skills for them. This is, this is really holistic care that she's after, community transformation. Uh, it's worth noting this picture. There are about 150 children in this picture. They're all sponsored by people that call Summit Home. They're being provided the food and education and health care and love of Jesus they need in part because of you guys. That's awesome. And our partnerships were in it for the long haul. Long-term commitment to a specific geographic region. When we started Summit, we were at this conference and uh, someone stood up and said, if a church in the U.S. would commit to a specific region over the long haul, it could have a profound impact on the community. There were no stats to back that up. I don't even think there was any, I don't even know if it was true, but we were in and we said yes. Let's try to do that. And so that's what we're doing. And we're seeing it actually work. Because change on the, on the scale of millions, it, it takes time and it takes dedication and it takes prayer and it takes hope and it takes trust and it takes all of us thinking big, thinking big about the issues, thinking big about our partnerships, thinking big about how we might be able to, over the long haul, have some impact. But it also takes us thinking small. Michael Sadib is a director of uh, 
you in AIDS, and, and he says this, there's no ending the AIDS pandemic without putting people first. Let me expand his quote. There, there's no ending uh, pain or hurt or injustice or isolation without putting people first. If we only see the millions and we miss the one, we'll miss the chance to love our neighbor. So that voice that might still be ringing in the back of your head, you're just a drop in the ocean. What can little old me do? Fight that voice because doing nothing is a great way to change nothing. And after 11 years, we're, we're actually seeing change happen. It's happening before our very eyes. Children in sponsorship programs like, like the kids in that, in that children's hope chest uh, picture, they're growing up now. And they're doing some of the most incredible things. And they're being able to do it in part because of the faithfulness of you, people that call Summit their church home that says, you know what, I'll, I'll get on board and, and I'll sponsor this child. I'll believe in their future and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, gonna, I'm in. And I'll be a part of it. Stories like a young man named Francisco. I wish he could be here today. He couldn't, but we get to hear his story. He recorded a, a video and we're gonna get a chance to, to hear his story. It's a story worth hearing it's a very individual story, but it's a story that's happening again and again and again. So let's take a look at Francisco's story. Hi, my name is Francisco, and I come from Malawi, and this is in Africa. Life was so hard for my mother because she was there helping for the family because my, 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 my father made his decision to leave my mother, which was so difficult for, for us all. And through the, the decision that he made, we suffered through that. Like in Malawi, most of the houses are so small. And I remember my mother was, was sleeping on the floor. And I, <laughs> I looked at her and said, Mother, are you OK? And then she said, yes, I'm, I'm OK, son. Then I looked, I looked on her and said, you're not OK. There's something wrong with you. Like, you've been, we have been so sick for a year. What is wrong with you? Can you tell us the truth? And I was like, what is going on with you? Like, I was just looking at her. Then, 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 I went to the neighbor and said, can you go and see my mother? Can you go and see how my mother is acting? I've never seen her acting that way. Then, then when they went there, they, they found that my mother was dead. <laughs> I remember that moment was the deepest moment in my life. I've never felt that, that, uh, like that, that before. And things were so were, were so hard for me, and I, I I I remember like looking at myself and say, now I have I have no future. Now I have no one who help me. Now I have no family. My mother was was my, was my family. My mother was everything. Then where am I going to live? Where am I going to go? And I remember crying in that in that house alone. And asking God, God, can you open a door for me? God, if you are there, can you give me the family? God, if you are there, can you give me the future? God, if you are there, can you help me that I can, I can have someone that I can call a parent? And at the end of that work, things changed because children and nations came to me and said, you know, Francisco, God had, 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 had really like heard of your prayer. And, and, and today, things will be different. And today, you experience new, new, new things. And I looked at them and said, what, what, what do you mean? And they said, you'll be in our family. We'll take you into our family. That life, life will, never, will never be the same with you. I remember my faith growing up with God. 
And I remember growing up with, with that mentality and was saying, there's no one who can do this, but it's God who has done this for me. And after that, things changed. And I was making sure that my relationship with God is there strong, that I, 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 I never disappoint God because God has done so much for me. I remember going through high school. I remember going through college. I now have a degree in, in education. And I, I, I did my school at African Bible College. And having that degree, I know it's not for myself, but it's for people around me. It's for every person to, to have to have a better life. It's for, for me to ministry. It's for me to use it for, for God. It's, me, uh, it's for me to use it for my family because African Bible College has, has molded me to be the person of, of, of service, that I will, I will serve every person despite whether they are com they're coming from where. But I will make sure that through the degree that I have for education, I'll make sure that I use it for, for him, for God, for service. Sewardin has not just uh, teach me to be a disciple, but has, has made me to be the leader, has made me to be, to, to lead people. I'm a better testimony. You can look at my life. You can see, you can see where God has brought me from. Like, I, I come from the, the poor background, but God has, has given me this to whatever way that God has used. And, and one of them is through your sponsorship. And, and, and what you have given me is so big that you can look at it as small, but to my life, I will never forget it. To my life, I will, I will cherish it forever because I will, know, I, will, I will really know that through this, I will make an impact. Through whatever you, you, you have done to me, I will remember it and I will, I, will, I will use it for people. I will use it for everyone around me. So individual actions matter because individuals like Francisco matter. That's, that's it. And, and I've, seen, uh, I've seen God do some, some incredible things when people live the very singular call of Jesus. So Jesus lived in a time where there were, there were social and political and economic issues that rival the ones we deal with in our world today culture where too often people were left out, uncared for, unnoticed. And his solution, we learn in this story, his solution was very singular. Love God and love your neighbor. That's the solution to the ills in this world. It's the greatest commandment, as he calls it. And I've seen how those individual actions matter. I saw it when, uh, when I was in Malawi and I was watching Africa Windmill Project work on one of their first water pumps, water wells. And uh, didn't have the windmill yet, and so it was a hand crank. And the Malawian engineer was just working so hard to crank this, and then finally water shoots out onto the ground, it's splattering everywhere, the sound was really loud. And he yells over the sound of water splashing as he's cranking just as hard as he can to send water into these fields. He says, when you come back, there are going to be houses and buildings and cars and food for everyone. Hope, that's what was pouring out of that well more than water was. I've seen individual actions matter. I've seen it matter when a group of people from Summit get on a plane, fly halfway around the world to sing and dance about the love of Jesus with kids in a village where their circumstances might lend them to, to not, but they do. They're praising Jesus because of who he is and because of what they've seen, not because their circumstances are perfect. I've seen individual actions matter when 
uh, I had a chance to put a sport coat on a, uh, on a young man uh, similar to Francisco, about the same age, uh, who had just graduated and been accepted to medical school in Russia. And so this was his first sport coat. I brought it from the U.S. and, and put it on him, and he was headed off to Russia. And he said, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to help people get healthy here in Malawi. Individual actions matter. I've seen it when, when a widow learns a skill that is life-giving, not just for her, but supports her family as well, and she actually gets it. She sees how important it is individual actions matter. So what can you do? What am I asking you to do? How can you be a part of a story like that, a story that God is writing? Well, here's how you think big. Think big about who's included in your neighborhood and think smaller, individual, about how God's called you to be a part of the need around you, about how you respond to the need around you, and then just move forward accordingly. Think big, think small, and move forward accordingly. Or as Jesus said, go and do likewise. And not because it'll make things easier for you. For the Good Samaritan, things got more difficult. And not because you'll see an instant return. The Good Samaritan had to give first. I'm asking you to be a part of this because it's worth it because we're all connected. So here's where I'd start. And you got a card when you came in. I'm gonna walk through some of the things, some of the pieces on that card, but, but this, this won't be included. This is uh, extra credit or maybe a prereq. Pray. Start by praying. Pray for vulnerable people in our world. Pray that God shows up. Pray that he provides a movement that creates solutions for people. The scriptures tell us that God hears the cries of his people. Let's take him up on the offer. And maybe for, for you, you've heard this and you're like, your kind of overwhelming feeling is like, I'm so thankful that my church is a part of this. Like it's a really, really good thing. And I'm just not feeling it though. Like I'm glad people are doing this, but... I'm just not all that into it. Here's what I would invite you to pray for two weeks. Please commit to just pray, just God, help me care. That's it. Just pray that for two weeks and see what happens, if that's where you need to start. Another step is uh, something that, that we did, why we got engaged in this 12 years ago, get educated. A simple Google search will, will give you so much information about what's going on in the world around you. Uh, but we have some other things for you as well that I would encourage you to be a, a part of. Out in the lobby, there's some books that we've hand-selected that would actually be a good step. Some of the things that we read when we started these partnerships and these relationships. And you could be a part of, of, of knowing um, the things that we engaged with. There's also something called a Join Africa class. That'll be starting soon. We take three weeks and we get together in groups and we talk about what is God's mission in the world and, and what are these partnerships and, and what is short-term teams and what can we expect from, from, from poverty and these types of things. It's, it's getting educated. That's what helps us see. Hopefully that helps us know enough to care, but knowing is an important part. If you think, gosh, I don't even know it, Join that class. Be a part of that class with us. There's a card out in the lobby. You can grab that. Or if you're running out afterwards, you can check that first box, fill your name out, uh, and, and then drop that off at the info booth, and we'll follow up with you. But, but getting educated. I hope some of you will uh, sponsor children today. It's a step that you can actually take this morning. And, and what you would join if you did, if you sponsored a child, is you would join a movement in 11 years since we were standing over that well, 450 children in East Central Africa have been sponsored by people who call Summit their church home. And there's still hundreds of children available, specifically in Maguai Village in Mitsulisa, where we work with uh, children of the nations. 
I'd love for you to be a part of that. I, you guys missed it in the first service. Um, there was a, a child that was, that was born uh, about two weeks after my eldest son. How's that for connected? And uh, so I committed on stage to sponsor him and then told Abby later, um, Gee, you, could, you could do that, um, but that's probably not the, just talk about it first and then, and then go do it. But there are folks out there that would love to help you. But what would it look like for you to be a part of that, to be a part of, of a child's vision for their life, moving from a small rural village to, to go on to become a doctor or lawyer or politician or pastor to change their world? That's something to be a part of. And here's, here's the third step. There's a box for that too. If you like, hey, I'm interested in sponsorship, but I, I, don't, I don't need more information, check that box and fill it out. Here's the third thing. 50 to 75 of you, I, I hope, go to Africa this year. To go to participate in, in, our, in our partnerships, in our relationships, to move those forward, be on one of those like special needs teams or a team with world relief helping uh, to, to provide care for those that are impacted by AIDS and, and see how the local church works in, in that context. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Be a part uh, of that. I would love for you to join one of those teams. And if you want to have a conversation about that, there'll be some folks who have gone on some of those trips before, and you can, uh, you can join them by filling out that, that, that card, and we'll talk with you or just, or just chatting with those guys. But I would love if you would go. And here's a good indicator if, you, if you're called to go. Like if, you, if, if, if you're like, ah, I'm kind of interested, but I'm not really sure, uh, you should go. It's like not a normal thing to be like, oh, I think I should go to Africa maybe. No, you should go. Like not everybody's gonna feel that. So if you're feeling that, you should go. If the hair on the back of your neck stood up at any point in the last 30 minutes or so, you should consider going and being a part of these partnerships. Move from knowing enough to care to caring enough to do something and joining us in that. This is who we are as a church. If you're part of Summit, you're part of this and I'm thankful that you're a part of this. But my hope is that you knowing leads to, to, to you participating, knowing enough to act, and then, and, then, and then actually acting with us, being a part of this with us. In Jesus' story, the life of the, the man by the wayside, the man who, who, was, who was attacked, was changed. The trajectory was changed because of the Samaritan, because the Samaritan saw his neighborhood as big enough to include him, and he saw his small individual actions as important enough to, to, to provide care and love and hope. It can be the same with us. We can see lives and trajectories changed if we're willing to think big, if we're willing to think big about the size of our neighborhood, and if we're willing to think small, realizing our individual actions actually matter and they add up to a movement of Christ's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. People in need matter and so do you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for that truth. Thank you that there's not one person in this room that doesn't matter deeply to you and there's not one person outside of this room that doesn't matter deeply to you and we're all connected by that truth. I pray that we would be people who think big. Yeah, there are big issues in this world, undoubtedly. There is big need in this world, but you are a big God, and what you are up to is big, and you're inviting us to think broadly about who our neighbor is and then move forward recognizing that our actions matter. That's all you've ever called us to. 
is to love God and love our neighbor. Let us be people who do that. In Jesus' name, amen.